hopefully you remember that about five weeks ago, we started working our way through Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. We began with the Beatitudes, and then we talked about how Jesus gives us this identity of being salt and light in the world. And uh, for about two weeks, we took a break from the Sermon on the Mount. And this week, I thought, let's come back to it, but let's focus specifically on the parts of the Sermon on the Mount that seem really relevant for us in the circumstances that we're in right now. And one part that I think is especially relevant is all about anger. About a year and a half ago, there was an editorial in the Wall Street Journal uh, by a guy named Lance Morrow. And it began by saying this, outrage has become the signature emotion of American public life. A healthy society reserves anger for special occasions. Today, taking offense has become a reflex. In late 2018, a poll was conducted by NPR, IBM, Watson Health, and they surveyed about 3,000 Americans and they asked them the question, do you think that Americans are angrier than they were a generation ago? And 84% of the respondents said yes. 84%, that's pretty impressive because as we all know in our contentious society, it's hard to get 84% of people to agree on anything, right? Uh, but we can agree for the most part that we are more disagreeable than we were a generation ago. Now, I could be wrong about this and I hope that I'm wrong about this. But my impression is that the, the pandemic has not reduced our outrage. Uh, my impression is that uh, this pandemic has actually uh, given us more things to be angry with each other about. And uh, usually, you know, when societies go through a trial, there's this thing where they all kind of unite together and put aside their differences. And it seems like in this particular trial that we're going through as a society, um, our divisions are just being amplified even, even more. So we've got a whole bunch of new things to be angry about right now, right? Some people are angry about the way that the government has handled uh, the pandemic. Other people are angry that people are angry at the government for that because they think that the anger is unjustified. Uh, some people are angry because they feel like their constitutional rights are being violated. Uh, other people are angry at those people because they think they're concerned about the wrong thing right now. Uh, people are angry at people for not wearing masks and people are angry for people expecting them to wear masks and on and on and on. So I think that this is really an opportune time to talk about what Jesus has to say about anger. So if you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, starting in verse 21. Matthew 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. 
First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So, going back to the top there, Jesus basically says, it's not enough just not to murder people, right? You have to get rid of the anger and hatred that you have towards other people. Now, if you're anything like me, you hear what Jesus is saying here, and you think something like, well, come on, Jesus, aren't there things that are worth getting angry about? I mean, shouldn't we be angry at perpetrators of injustice and, you know, propagators of lies? Shouldn't we be outraged at people who abuse and mislead and corrupt? Isn't that part of being a loving person is being angry uh, when people behave in, in unloving ways? Well, here's what I would say to that and what I think Jesus says to us in response to that. Certainly, we should be bothered by evil in all its forms. And certainly, we should be motivated to work against evil. But what Jesus seems to be saying is that the way to address evil is not with hatred. And it is very, very easy for anger to turn to hatred. In fact, it is so easy that we don't, we often don't think of those two things as being different, right? We think of them as almost being one and the same, anger and hatred. And so Jesus is saying, you've got to nip the problem in the bud, right? Turn from your anger, because even your anger over evil can become in itself evil. Even your anger over evil can morph into something that is in itself evil. Now, I do want to acknowledge, okay, not all anger is evil. It is good to be angry about injustice, uh, angry about uh, lies and corruption and all that sort of thing. But the moment we become angry, our likelihood for sinning skyrockets. That's the power of anger. With it comes this in incredible potential for sin. I heard an analogy about anger recently that I thought was very uh, wise. It was uh, from a writer and Christian author, uh, thinker named uh, Sky Jatani. And uh, he said that anger is like a gun. Now, there are appropriate uses for a gun, right? But would any of us say that it is appropriate for a blind person to use a gun? I hope that regardless of what we believe about gun rights, most of us would say, yeah, that's probably not, not good for a blind person to have a gun. Well, anger in human beings, sinful human beings like you and me, is a lot like a gun in the hands of a blind person. It's not necessarily inherently evil, um, but it's not something that we have the ability to wield very well um, for multiple reasons. You know, any anger that we have, we're operating out of a limited perspective, right? Whenever we get angry, even if there are legitimate things to be angry about, there's so much that we don't know, right? So much we don't know about what led to the situation that we're angry about. 
uh, so much that we don't know about the people who committed the acts that we're angry about and their, their own personal history. There's so much we don't know about how the expression of our anger could result in more negative consequences moving forward. We are so, so far from omniscient. And so our anger is a lot like a gun in a blind man's hands. Now, Jesus, when he gets angry, okay, he's not like a blind man with a gun, right? He's got 20-20 vision, and he's going to use the gun of his anger in responsible ways, in ways that are congruent, totally congruent with his loving and just nature. Um, but we are all like blind gunmen. And so it is best for us to fight evil, not with anger towards others, but with other tools. Now, Jesus uses an example of what it looks like when we blindly use the gun of our anger. And the example he gives is one that I think is very relatable. It's of insulting people. Uh, he says, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Now, that word Raka, is, it was an Aramaic term of contempt. And you said it with the back of your throat, Raka. And uh, it meant uh, empty-headed one, empty-headed one, raka. Now, I want to clarify something just in case you were confused. Uh, Jesus says two things here that mean the same thing. In Hebrew, this is called the parallelism. And uh, we actually use parallelisms without even thinking about it all the time. It's just when you say two things that mean the same thing for emphasis, but a little bit differently. Uh, Preachers love to do this. They do it all the time. I probably do it without even realizing it. So the first half of Jesus's parallelism is anyone who says Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin. And then the second half is anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And what I want us to recognize is that those two lines are meant to communicate the same basic idea. And now I, I realize that our modern translations don't make that too obvious because for some reason they insert the conjunction but in between the two halves of the parallelism, which makes it sound like the second half is in contrast to the first in some way, uh, but it's not. A better way uh, to think about it is to, to take that word but out and put a semicolon in its place. I think that's a more accurate way of, of translating it. So uh, what Jesus is saying here is like, Anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, semicolon. Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And both halves of the parallelism are saying this. If you speak to someone with contempt, you are sinning against God. You are in danger of God's judgment. If you speak to someone with contempt, you are in danger of God's judgment. That kind of speech and the hatred that motivates it is a sin against God. And boy, do we as a culture need to hear this right now, don't we? I mean, if you use Twitter or Facebook, you cannot scroll through it for long without eventually seeing somebody using a 21st century equivalent of Raka, right? Here's some interesting proof of this. Back in 2016, uh, Microsoft debuted a, uh, a chatbot called Tay. And uh, a chatbot, if you're not familiar with it, is a, a form of artificial intelligence. And people will talk to it online. 
and then it learns from what people say, and then it formulates responses based on what it learns. So you can probably figure out where I'm going with this. Uh, within 24 hours of being debuted on Twitter, Microsoft had a problem uh, because Tay, the chatbot, quote, had adopted a profane vocabulary, developed a disturbing affinity for Adolf Hitler, and began spewing racism and hate. Now, why did Tay do that? Tay did that because that was the content that people were saying to Tay. Right, so Tay the chatbot was like a mirror for humanity and the reflection that we were seeing in the mirror was very ugly. And Microsoft actually had to delete a lot of Tay's tweets because of that. We are a society that says raka constantly, constantly. We're easily angered we're, and we're quick to express uh, the anger that we feel. And our expressions of anger inspire more expressions of anger. And on and on, the cycle goes and it escalates more and more and more. And as followers of Jesus, one of the ways that we can be the salt of the earth is to de-escalate that conflict. Um, we should be slow to get angry, slow to be offended. And again, I've said this already, but just to be clear, you know, I am not saying that we should not feel strongly about things. I'm not saying uh, that we should not care about justice and truth. We absolutely should. Love requires that. But we can contend for justice and truth without saying raka all the time, right? We can contend for justice and truth without hating those who we think are responsible for injustice and lies. And what Jesus wants us to understand is that if our, our hearts are filled with contempt for people, our efforts for injustice and truth are flawed from the outset. We've already lost the battle, if that's the place we're starting from. It's not enough just not to murder. We have to address the hatred that we feel in our hearts toward other human beings. Part of being a disciple of Jesus is learning to let go of that hatred and to work out of a different motivation. And that is so hard because we have a tendency to enshrine our hatred, to nurture it, to treasure it, to, to nurse it, uh, to justify it as righteous. There's a part of us that loves our hatred. And even though our anger may have righteous roots, to justify it is dangerous. It's still like a gun in the hands of a blind person. Now, in this passage, I see Jesus giving us four things to remember to help us turn from our anger. So if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these down. We'll move through, through these pretty quickly. Four things to remember to help us turn from our anger. So. Number one, we already talked about this a little bit, remember God's judgment. Remember God's judgment. Jesus says, if you're calling people raka, you are answerable to the Sanhedrin, and you are in danger of the fire of hell. Now, again, remember I talked about how this is all part of a, a parallelism, right? So both of these warnings are really the same warning, the Sanhedrin and the fire of hell. Those are corresponding parts of the same parallelism. 
And uh, both the Sanhedrin and the fire of hell were symbols of God's judgment uh, at the time that Jesus was preaching. Uh, you may have heard of the earthly Sanhedrin. The Gospels talk about how Jesus went before the Sanhedrin, uh, before he was crucified. Uh, the Sanhedrin, the earthly Sanhedrin, was like um, a Jewish Supreme Court. And Jews at the time had this notion that the earthly Sanhedrin was like a reflection of a heavenly Sanhedrin, which we would be judged by. So when Jesus says, you will be answerable to the Sanhedrin, he's not talking about an earthly Sanhedrin. I mean, people say you fool all the time and they don't have to answer to an earthly Sanhedrin, right? But he's talking about a heavenly Sanhedrin. He's taking that symbol of God's judgment at that time. And he's saying, when you talk like this, you are answerable to God's judgment. Same thing with the fire of hell. That was a symbol at the time of God's judgment. Um, there was a valley south of Jerusalem called the Valley of Hinnom or Gehenna. Uh, when, it, when you see that word hell uh, in the Gospels, it's translated from Gehenna. And Gehenna was this place where it was like a huge landfill. And uh, the Jews would jump, dump their trash there. They would burn the corpses of animals. And it was the sort of place where if you went there, you would immediately think, boy, do I want to get out of here. This is just a gross, disgusting place. And so it became a symbol of God's judgment, the Valley of Gehenna. And so what Jesus does, right, is he takes these two symbols of judgment and he says, when you talk like this, when you have contempt in your heart, you are in danger of the judgment of God. The judgment of God is a real thing. Here's two symbols that you have of it, the, the heavenly uh, court, Sanhedrin, and that fiery Valley of Gehenna, and he's saying, this is what you put yourself in danger of experiencing, the judgment of God. And here's what I just want us to see here. Okay, sometimes we think of our relationship with God as having little to do with our relationships with people, right? Like these are two distinct categories, two completely separate things. I have my relationship with God, and then I have my, my relationships with people. And what, what Jesus wants us to recognize is that if we hate people, we have a problem in our relationship with God too, okay? You can't have a cozy, nice relationship with God and constantly be hating other people. You just can't do it. The two things uh, need to work in conjunction. If you love God, you also need to love people. So first, that's the first thing we have to remember, God's judgment. When we hate people, we are sinning against God, and we are putting in danger, ourselves in danger of his judgment. Second thing Jesus wants us to remember is that in order to turn from our anger, we need to remember that the people we interact with are our brothers and sisters. Okay, the people we interact with are our brothers and sisters. Did you notice that three times in this passage, Jesus refers to the person uh, that we might be angry at as our brother? Did you see that? Now, that's very intentional. Jesus is doing that on purpose. Now, why is he doing that? Because he wants us to see those we are angry at as people that we have much in common with, brothers, sisters, before we fire off some comment on Facebook or Twitter, or even an old-fashioned conversation, uh, we should ask ourselves, can I put 
the the name brother or sister before this comment and does it sound sarcastic if it sounds sarcastic then we probably should figure out a way to reword that comment or not say it at all right to see someone as a brother or a sister is to see them as someone that you have a lot in common with jesus is encouraging us to see other human beings, even those that we get really angry at, as people that we have much in common with. We have much in common with someone, even if they are on the complete opposite side of the political spectrum, even if they are another race, another nationality, even if they their favorite sports team is our rival, right? Uh, we have so much in common. We all need to eat. We all need to sleep. We all need to feel loved and respected and like we have meaning and purpose in our lives. We all experience pain. We all feel the curse of sin and death. We all come into this world as babies that are completely helpless and dependent on someone else to take care of us. Any of us that make it to adulthood, it's a sobering fact to think somebody loved us enough to make sure that we got to that point. And Jesus wants us to remember all that, that despite our differences, we share all of these things in common. And that's why he uses that word brother. He's saying, remember all that. Remember that about the person that you hate. I'm reminded of a quote from the priest Henry Nouwen. He says, sometimes I see humanity as a sea of people starving for affection, tenderness, care, love, acceptance, forgiveness, and gentleness. Everyone seems to cry, please love me. When our anger begins to rise and we feel hatred in our hearts, that's the sort of thing that we need to remind ourselves of. I know it's not easy, but that's what we have to do. So the third thing that Jesus wants us to remember in order to turn from our anger is that reconciliation is a better act of worship than any religious ritual. Reconciliation is a better act of worship than any religious ritual. Remember, Jesus says in verse 23, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. In other words, if you are about to perform some act of religious devotion, some ritual, some formal expression of worship. And then you think to yourself, you know, Bob has good reason to be angry at me. I wasn't very nice to Bob the other day. Jesus is saying, whatever you you're about to do, that is less important than making things right with Bob. If you really want to worship God, the best act of worship that you can make is to pursue reconciliation with Bob or whoever it is. That's a, that's a way better uh, act of worship than whatever you're about to do. So what does that mean, right? That means that we should confess to people when we've done wrong to them. We should ask for forgiveness. We should try to make things right. And when people ask us for forgiveness, we should accept that forgiveness. I know these things are hard, I know. But maybe if we think of them as the best acts of worship that we can give God, will be more motivated to do them. 
you know, reconciliation, forgiveness given and granted. That is, that gives God so much more praise than a thousand well-sung worship songs, than, you know, a dozen times coming to church on Sunday, than a hundred hallelujahs. You know, that is, that is just so much more honoring to God, pursuing that reconciliation and peace in our relationships. It is a sweet, sweet offering to God. Finally, one more thing uh, that Jesus wants us to remember in order to turn from our anger is that it's better to resolve disputes personally than through the courts. It's better to resolve disputes personally than through the courts. This is a very practical one. It's interesting. Now, I understand sometimes in this world of sin and, uh, and injustice, the best bad option is going to court. Something, sometimes that is necessary. Uh, in this fallen world, we do need courts. But as followers of Jesus, that should not be the option that we jump to. That's the nuclear option. That should be a last resort. Our first choice should be to try to resolve disputes on a personal level. Listen again to what Jesus says in verse 25. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, what is Jesus saying there? He's saying, when you've got a dispute with someone, try to, to resolve it before you actually get to the court. Because once you get to the court, well, then things are really serious, right? Then there's all these other factors that come into play, the lawyers and the judge and the, the police and all of that. And you don't know how things are going to turn out from there. Somebody might end up in jail. That somebody who ends up in jail might be you. Somebody might end up with huge fines to pay that they can't pay off. And then what are you going to do? You can't just weasel out of that, right? And, and Jesus is saying, a lot of the time, that is way more trouble than it's worth. So if you can avoid all that, it's worth it. Pursue peace on a personal level so that it doesn't get to that point. There are a lot of conflicts in this world uh, that could avoid going to court if we were just slower to get angry. If we were just quicker to see those that we are angry at as our brothers and sisters, if we were just slower to take offense, right? A lot of money could be saved. Uh, insurance rates would probably go way down because there wouldn't be so many frivolous lawsuits. Again, and again, okay, I know sometimes court is the best bad option, but when possible, we should resolve our disputes as brothers and sisters speaking directly to one another. So let me close with an exhortation. In this culture that is easily angered and quick to take offense, may you de-escalate the hatred. May you be patient with those whom you disagree. May you model how to disagree respectfully. May you recognize those who frustrate you as brothers and sisters, and may you choose not to say raka. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, uh, there is often more heat than light in our public discourse. Lord, we are quick to get angry, quick to take offense, quick to say raka. Lord, we confess that often anger and hatred is in our hearts. And Lord, we ask that you would replace that anger and hatred with love. Not the kind of love that just leads to indifference and uh, that is unconcerned about injustice and truth, Lord, but the kind of love that pursues justice and truth uh, without hatred, without a desire to steal, kill, and destroy. Lord, we thank you and praise you for choosing uh, not to be angry at us, um, for, for choosing, Lord, uh, to love us uh, rather than to hate us, despite our sin. And Lord, may that be our model, Lord. May Jesus be our model. Help us to be people who de-escalate the conflict. In Jesus' name, amen.